Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. The COVID-19 vaccine became available in the state a year ago. On today's show, we talk with the state's top epidemiologist about what's changed over the last year and what hasn't. And we hear about the statewide effort to ensure the vaccine was accessible for all Coloradans. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Vaccines against coronavirus first became available to Coloradans nearly one year ago on December 14, 2020. In the years since, millions of Coloradans have gotten vaccinated. But despite that progress, the virus and its variants are still spreading. And according to a new poll conducted by the Associated Press and Nork Center for Public Affairs Research, the percentage of Americans who say they're very or extremely worried that they or a family member will be infected with the virus is now 36 percent compared to 25 percent in late October. For an update on how things have changed in the last year and how they haven't, we're speaking now with Dr. Rachel Herlihy, the state epidemiologist with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Dr. Herlihy, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. As mentioned, we're talking a day before the year anniversary of COVID-19 vaccines become available in Colorado. Can you take us back to how you were feeling about the future of the pandemic at this time last year? Yes. So at this time last year, we actually were in a very similar place to where we are right now in that um, we had recently experienced a high peak in cases and hospitalizations in the state. Um, But I think we were also at a place of great optimism. We knew this vaccine was coming. We knew that it had the potential to really sort of change the, the future of this pandemic to provide important protection to individuals, um, especially to prevent severe disease outcomes associated with COVID-19. And so we were feeling very optimistic, I think, about, about what the coming years would look like. Right. What are the most current vaccination numbers and rates for the state right now? Here in Colorado, over 4 million individuals have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. So that's nearly um, three quarters of our population here in the state. Um, Also here in Colorado, we're doing a fantastic job in vaccinating uh, the newly eligible population, the five to 11 year olds. So at this point, 25% of individuals in that age group have received their first dose and that's compared to just 18% in the US. So Colorado certainly ahead of the curve there. Um, Here in Colorado, 64% of 12 to 17-year-olds have received their first dose, and that's compared to 62% in the U.S. And also Colorado is leading when it comes to booster doses. So approximately 43% of eligible individuals here in Colorado have received a booster dose compared to about 28% in the U.S. And that still leaves a sizable percentage of Coloradans who are eligible but still remain unvaccinated. I'm wondering if the state's strategy to target those folks who still haven't gotten the vaccine, has that evolved or changed over the last year? 
Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the challenges that we continue to face is is misinformation. And we know that that is really heartbreaking to us in public health to to see individuals that have you know, chosen to not be vaccinated because of misinformation. We know that hospitalizations and deaths have occurred because of that misinformation. And our goal is really to make sure that Coloradans have the information they need um, to make health choices, including a healthier choice to be vaccinated. We we continue to see that our the highest risk of hospitalization and death continues to be among our unvaccinated population. We often talk about the fact that this is now a pandemic really of the unvaccinated. We see that, you know, there's 11 times the risk of being hospitalized if you are unvaccinated compared to those that are uh, vaccinated. Um, and the numbers are even more startling when you look at individuals who have received a, a booster dose. They are 47 times less likely to be hospitalized than someone who's unvaccinated. And you mentioned misinformation, and I'm wondering if there is a strategy emerging for dealing with misinformation, whether it is unintentionally spread or whether it's deliberate. You know, I I think we're trying pretty hard across the state to really push out fact-based information, information that, you know, Coloradans know that they can rely on. And, And there's really multiple strategies being pursued to do that. We know that individuals look to their community leaders. And so in having those individuals be be the voice of, of truth and the data and the science is, is also an important strategy we're using. Now, in November, the CDC recommended COVID-19 vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds. I, I think you mentioned about 25% of that age group uh, have gotten the vaccine. Uh, how How is the state engaging with parents to encourage them to get their children vaccinated? Yeah, so again, making sure that parents have the information they need to to make this decision to vaccinate their their children. We also have done extensive outreach in the community and had these you know fun interactive vaccination events that parents and kids would alike feel comfortable going to. So one example is a vaccination event that was held at the Denver Zoo. Um, so making it a fun event for families um, and a place that families feel safe and comfortable and asking questions. Um, and making it a process that's a positive experience for their children. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Rachel Herlihy, state epidemiologist with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. I'd like to uh, dig in a little more to the variants, because, of course, we're dealing with a couple of variant strains of the virus here in Colorado. My understanding is the Delta variant is really having high transmission in the state still, the Omicron variant has also been detected, but it's not spreading in the same way. How worried are you about these variants and any others that could pop up in the future? Compared to a year ago, we do have some new challenges now, and that being these these variants that have concerning characteristics about them that make them either more transmissible, um, potentially cause more vaccine breakthrough cases, or potentially cause more severe cases of COVID-19 infection. And so the, the variant that's most common here in Colorado right now. In fact, it's nearly 100% of what we're seeing transmitted in the state is the Delta variant. And it does have some of those concerning characteristics. And and that has really resulted in this virus being able to be spread more easily from person to person and individuals who are unvaccinated right now being at greater risk than they've ever been uh, during the pandemic. This um, variant seems to be pretty good at seeking out individuals that are not yet vaccinated and, and spreading this infection from person to person. 
And then of course, the, the new variant that we've just recently learned about is the Omicron variant, the variant that was first detected in, in South Africa. And we're still really trying to learn more about that variant, but it does look like it does also have some concerning characteristics. We've seen a really rapid increase in cases in South Africa. The UK is now reporting some data showing a, a rapid increase there as well. So looks like it's potentially more transmissible. Um, jury's still out on whether or not it's more or less severe. There are some early promising signs coming from the UK suggest and, and South Africa saying that perhaps severity is no worse than what we've seen with Delta, but really a lot more definitive information is needed for us to fully understand that variant. Um, one of the other things that we're seeing with the Omicron variant is that it looks like there is um, high levels of vaccine protection for individuals that have received booster doses, um, but the, the level of protection is probably not quite as good for individuals who've received just two doses of the vaccine. So again, reinforcing the importance of booster doses at this time in the pandemic. And that was my next question, just to see what you're seeing in terms of how effective the vaccines are uh, and boosters. Yeah, so the reality is that there is a level of waning immunity that occurs following vaccination where those antibody levels and people drop over time. And so individuals can potentially become more susceptible to infection the further they get out from their uh, vaccination. But what a booster dose provides is that boost in your antibody levels. So it gets those antibody levels back up high enough where you are protected from infection, but most importantly, protected from severe disease. So protected from hospitalization and death. And, and that's really the, the most important thing that the vaccines are, are doing is protecting individuals from having severe disease. And that's obviously important, not just for individuals' health, um, keeping them healthy, keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them alive, of course, um, but also for our healthcare system. We know that our healthcare system has been under significant strain throughout the pandemic, um, especially in the last few months. And, and so boosters are another way to ensure that we have sufficient healthcare capacity in the state, whether you need that healthcare for a COVID-19 infection or anything else. This is now the second winter holiday season with COVID lurking in the background. Do public health experts have a, a better sense of what to expect this time around, or do the variants create too much uncertainty? I think we do have quite a few questions remaining when it comes to the variants. So, you know, one of the things that we've experienced this fall already is, is a peak in cases that occurred at a very similar time we saw a peak in cases last year. At this point, we're seeing the, the hospitalization numbers and the case numbers come down. I think though the question remains about what Omicron might do in Colorado. Will that result in a sooner than expected new wave of, of infections? And so that's one of the things that we're monitoring for is to see if we might expect a new wave to occur so, sooner than we might have expected it um, with just the Delta variant that's circulating now. Um, the other really big unknown this year is influenza. So we know that influenza is circulating in the state. We've already seen hospitalizations occurring here in Colorado. We expect that this is probably going to be a, a much worse influenza season than we saw last year. Um, and so that's another unknown for us and an unknown for our healthcare system is how much strain we might expect to see on our healthcare system um, from influenza. And, and I think also reinforces the importance of testing. So not just testing for COVID-19, but potentially testing for influenza as well if you have symptoms. Well, lastly, as we noted earlier, we're now one year into vaccines being available in the pandemic fight. Are you more optimistic about the trajectory of this disease compared to a year ago? And what's still keeping you up at night? 
Yeah, so I see both promising sides and some concerning sides in the data, really. As far as the promising signs go, you know, after many weeks of increasing cases and hospitalizations here in Colorado, our counts are now improving. Uh, we know that nearly three quarters of our population has received at least their first dose of vaccine, um, and that population is very unlikely to develop severe COVID. They represent really just a very small proportion of our hospital and hospitalizations and deaths that are occurring. We now also have vaccine available to children all the way down to five years of age, meaning our schools are on their way to being a much safer place for our children than they have been earlier in the pandemic. We also have these life-saving monoclonal antibody treatments and new antivirals um, that are coming soon to us. But of course, we still have some of these more concerning trends. Um, so, you know, despite improvements in the trends, our hospitalization and case rates are still quite high um, and some of the highest numbers we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we also see that we continue to have a large number of school outbreaks occurring, and we're hoping the vaccine can make a huge dent in that um, with our children in schools, but that's obviously a continued concern. And then I think, of course, finally, we have this new Omicron variant, which brings lots of uncertainty and lots of questions for us about, you know, what the next couple of months could look like. Dr. Rachel Herleheep is the state epidemiologist with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Coming up after a short break, we'll check in with a physician who's part of a task force working to make sure vaccines are equally accessible to all. If we lead with equity and put those vulnerable patients, communities in front, would we have gotten better outcomes? That's in just a moment. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. One year ago, coronavirus vaccines became available to Coloradans. While the rollout initially focused on those who were most at risk, older people and healthcare workers, eligibility gradually expanded over the next few months to phase in more and more people. Even when the vaccine was broadly available, though, not everyone said they wanted to get it, nor was it easily accessible to all. Both access and a lack of trust in the vaccine were noted among some communities of color. To build trust and to help dispel misinformation, a group of medical leaders created the Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force. Dr. Ozzie Granardo is a member of the task force and the chief diversity and inclusion officer at Centura Health. We spoke with him earlier this year, early in the rollout process, and he joins us again now. Dr. Granardo, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Remind us why the Vaccine Equity Task Force was established. Well, at the time before the vaccines for COVID were actually rolled out, we recognized that there was an issue with obviously trust in many of the racial and ethnic minority communities that we were working with, as well then as understood that with the public health system as it was if these vaccines were to ever get to the communities, that we needed a different approach. So it was that trust issue that we wanted to make sure that we got correct information out, um, accurate information out from trusted community providers, as well then as make sure and work on um, those avenues of access that people could actually get the vaccines. So from that framework was really the um, the place where the Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force took off. And what kinds of things did you learn over the last year about why some are reluctant to get the COVID vaccine? Were there any general trends that you identified? Yeah, so there were a lot of different reasons that people 
certainly didn't want to get the vaccine. From a trust perspective, we know that communities of color have had issues with racism. We know that they've had issues with access. We know that they've had issues with experiments being done on people in their communities and in the population that weren't consented to. And those stories of mistreatment and racism that people had experienced and heard about and or then experienced themselves were incredible motivating factors for them to have a distrust of the vaccines that were coming out, especially because they were new. Um, certainly there was a, a reluctance upon many different people about quote unquote, getting experimented on again. And so trying to overcome that was and has been a critical part of, of the work that we're doing. Also then, who is the information coming from? Is it trusted community providers um, or and people that they know who have been working with them? Or is it people that um, from the government that they may not have a relationship with or trust? And so it's trying to figure out what voice should be given and, and delivering that message. And how did you then go about working to build trust among these uh, communities who had this hesitancy? Yeah, so Stephanie Wasserman and the team over at Immunize Colorado, who is really the backbone of the um, Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force, looked at who are those people who are um, in the community as leaders um, who can deliver this message? And how can we use those people on this task force to either bring them into the task force to help us or connect with them to get the information out? And then um, when the vaccine clinic started popping up, trying to assist them with getting that information about access for those vaccines to communities. So it's really the, the partnership and bringing in people from the community who truly knew what was going on and what really what message would resonate with the people that they worked with, bringing them in and providing them structure with which to hopefully address some of the issues um, to get more people vaccinated. What about ensuring access for people? Um, what did the task force do or what were you focused on to make sure that people who did want it overcome any barriers to getting vaccinated? Yeah, so we looked at, um, are there people on our vaccine equity task force who would be able to um, provide guidance on the best ways to get access for patients or for anyone who is in communities that were typically not um, having that access that we wanted early on in the pandemic um, with and when vaccines came out. So it was looking at how can we advocate from a policy perspective, or it was looking at um, do we have the people on our task force who can actually create some of these pop-up clinics, who can use some of these um, mobile units to actually get out and provide vaccines to the community that we then ended up seeing were really effective ways to hopefully get a lot of people immunized. And so it was a combination of, from a policy perspective, trying to work on that end um, and opening up access and being hopefully creative as well then as looking at who on our task force can we assist with that. The other big piece was we partnered with the Caring for Colorado Foundation um, led by Linda Reiner who was fantastic about can we create a, uh, a special fund 
which we ended up calling Together We Protect, to really focus on can we bring foundation monies to different organizations who are working on that exact same issue. So that partnership resulted in millions of dollars being given out to community organizations to help assist with this work. So we tried a multi-pronged approach um, where we partnered with others, where we were advocates um, for policymakers, as well as trying to provide, again, some structure for people on the task force to actually improve the access to our kids. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Ozzy Granardo, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Centura Health and a member of the Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force. How successful has the task force been overall? I'm wondering what metrics have you been using to gauge the impact? You know, we initially used a metric of we wanted 80% of our communities of color to actually be fully immunized. So with that goal in mind, certainly we try to do everything we can, we could to actually reach that level. We're not close. And a lot of this was lessons learned about how do we lead with equity? If we lead with equity and put those vulnerable patients, communities um, in front, and if we're addressing them from the start, um, would we have gotten better outcomes? We definitely would have. And so it became not an afterthought, but when the numbers started to come out about who were getting the actual vaccines, we saw there was a, a giant um, discrepancy between different communities, especially communities of color, actually getting the vaccine. And in looking at that data, there was a strategic shift, I think, from the state as well as um, any number of different entities, healthcare entities, to say, how can we improve equity? How can we improve these numbers? Because there is a significant gap. And from that lesson, I think it's it was great that we now know how we should go about it, but I still don't think we do as good a job as we need to proactively looking at equity in this space. And from, from an equity perspective, what I mean by that is if we give out vaccines to, to everyone as we did initially, that's, that truly is equality. Um, but when we saw the numbers start to show us those giant discrepancies, that racial and ethnic communities, minority communities were not getting those vaccines at as higher rates as others, we needed to move into an equitable standpoint of looking at from an equity um, vantage point, how do we treat and get these patients and communities the vaccines that they need in a different way? Because the one size fit all was not going to work and didn't work. And the numbers bared it out. And so I think going forward, as if we are looking at from a public health standpoint or any health program standpoint, we need to make sure that we're looking at things from an equity lens so that we can move the mark early and often on the outcomes that we're getting for our racial and ethnic communities who have suffered the most financially and health-wise during this pandemic. I know everyone wants to know about the big numbers and how did the group move the needle, but did you have any more uh, personal feelings that this was a success in even a small way? <laughs> so, oh, that's a difficult question because my, my measure of success is every single person who is eligible for getting and becoming fully vaccinated 
So I'll never be satisfied. I will never say it's a success um, until we do that. And so that that perpetuates me to work as hard as I can to make sure that that we are all on this road working towards this goal. And so um, there's been tremendous work done by a number of different community organizations um, and healthcare entities on this. And so from that perspective of how did we come together to start looking at different ways to, again, provide vaccines in an equitable manner, I think it was a tremendous success and one that needs to continue in the future for us to be able to address some of the health disparities that we have in our racial and ethnic communities and including our, our really rural um, areas. And so it's thinking about using those successes and the partnerships that we've created to hopefully continue to improve the work that we do, ultimately leading to better healthcare outcomes. Well, what does the work look like for the coming year? What challenges still remain for the task force? I think it's still with the information around the importance of boosters. We see, again, a lack of racial and ethnic minorities here in Colorado getting booster shots as compared to others. And so because of that, we still have to reinforce the messages that we're giving to others, but deliver it in a way and with people who are trusted providers that these boosters are incredibly necessary. And so it's thinking about as we go forward in this upcoming year, looking at boosters, still trying to make sure that people are social distancing, wearing masks, um, doing things that they can do themselves to protect themselves and their families, um, and then providing ways when people are ready to make a decision about vaccines, to have those opportunities ready and open for them um, when they make that decision. Dr. Ozzy Granardo is a member of the Colorado Vaccine Equity Task Force and the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Centura Health. Dr. Granardo, it was great to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we'll talk with a doctor who's been on the front lines of the pandemic about the impact of the COVID-19 vaccines one year later. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.